morning. Do you guys know that this is it for the Sermon on the Mount? This is it. It only took us uh, a better part of the year to get through, as Pastor Evan said, a sermon that Jesus preached in 15 minutes. That tells you more about Jesus. It may actually tell you more about me, but it definitely tells you something about Jesus, that we can know that his profound teaching and articulate words are words that not, don't just lead us in wisdom for this life, but leads us in the wisdom to come. There are four words that a homeowner never wants to hear. You have foundation problems. And those words we never want to hear. As a matter of fact, Kayla and I, we, we uh, bought our home a few years ago, and when we got to uh, the one-year anniversary of our home, you know a lot of, uh, a lot of things come up. Uh, particularly, you got to make sure you got all of your final repairs submitted if you built a new home uh, because you don't have your warranty anymore after a year. So we had an inspector come out and inspect our home, uh, and one of the most important things that he inspected was the foundation. Uh, much to our delight, as the inspector came and talked to us about our foundation, he says, hey, the builders who built your home, they started in the right place and they did the right thing, and you could tell they cared much about how this foundation was laid, because we know that foundations are so important to our homes that it really doesn't matter what you put on top of them if the foundation is not sufficient. And it's important for us to heed those words, because that's exactly what Jesus is teaching us in Matthew 7, which if you're not there, I want you to open up your Bible with me to Matthew 7, starting there in verse 24, that we have to realize as Jesus is teaching us about foundations, we don't have to go that far into our sandals in the first century to say that this translates to you and me today. I mean, we all have foundations in our homes, and we all have foundations in our lives. And we recognize that what you put on that foundation is important, but what's important is about where that foundation is, what it is, and how sturdy and sufficient it is for the life that you're going to build on top of it. And I've seen HGTV, you know, we see them, they always do home remodels. Interestingly enough, uh, it's been so popular that you can watch HGTV home remodels from the time that you're born until the time you're 120 and not repeat an episode. And uh, so, you know, I'm a self-proclaimed expert in DIY. I just won't do any of the do-it-yourself things. Okay, point about that is the fact that when we watch them, I have seen episodes where they look at a home, they decide to purchase it probably because the property is, is worth a lot of money, but they go in and they do the foundation check and they say, we cannot do anything in this house. We might as well tear it down because it's going to cost more for us to fix this with the foundation problems than it would be just to build a whole new home and pour a foundation that is sturdy and resilient enough for the storms in the life that's ahead of this home. And we have to be careful even in our own lives because we recognize that homes aren't the only things with foundations. Right? Families have foundations. You have foundations. Our society is built on a foundation. We see even in Scripture that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus being that cornerstone and everything that the church builds from the time Jesus left until the time Jesus comes back on is built on top of that foundation. And we know that it's going to be sturdy. We know the church is not going to fail. We know that Christ is going to win because of the foundation that we're built on. And if we're not careful in our own lives, if we don't look at the foundation that was laid in Scripture, if we don't look at the foundation of Christ's words and heed his words, we will find ourselves not building on the foundation of Christ but building on a foundation of your own opinions, the worldviews and philosophies of the world, 
And as we look in the text, as you'll see, we're going to recognize that there's going to be trouble. And the foundation that you find your life built on is not sufficient for the things to come. Actually, Jesus warns us here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that the outcome of your life, both temporally and eternally, is directly determined by whether or not you obey Jesus' words. And that is our main point, even as we look into this text, is we have to recognize the outcome of our life both now, tomorrow, next month, next year. And surely, as we stand before God on the day of judgment, that all of that which we built our life on will be directly determined by whether or not you obey the words of Jesus. This morning, what I want to do is I want to look at this text and I want us to answer three questions. And as we do, I want to first exposit this briefly as we look at it. And I want us to ponder three questions through this sermon. And I want you to ponder them because I want you to answer them in your own life. So let's go ahead and look there in verse 24. It says, Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, you need to be careful here because we don't want to do eisegesis, right? Which means I don't want to read myself in the text. I want to understand what's going on in the context. I want to know what this illustration is about because I don't want to make this illustration what I want to make it about. I want to make this illustration what Christ wants to make it about. And so when we talk about this idea of wise men building their house on the rock, we're not just saying that I want to do all my own things uh, and I need Christ's help to get it done, and if He will just help me, I'll be able to build the life that I want. We're saying instead that Christ's words are the foundation. I don't get to take a little bit of Jesus here and a little bit of Jesus here and sprinkle it on my, my sad foundation and hope that the little mixture of Jesus I get here and there is going to keep my foundation from falling apart. Instead, what you need to understand in verse 24 is it's saying that these words of mine are a solid foundation. These words of mine. You recognize Jesus is saying the solid foundation that I'm telling you about is every word that I say. If you want to build a solid foundation, it can't be the words you choose to accept that I say. It can't be only part of God's Word that you accept and pick and choose and cherry-pick what you want to listen to and somehow that'll be a sufficient foundation. Jesus says, all of my words are the foundation and the man who builds his house on all of my words, that is a wise man. Because the rain is coming, as it says in verse 25, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. Again, it's an illustration. It's illustrative. It's describing something in a way that helps us understand that that picture is describing real life events. Right? That foundation isn't just an ethereal up in the air, whatever foundation you want to attach to that, whatever meaning you want to attach to that. The foundation is the words of Jesus. The storms and the wind and the rain are twofold. It's the trials in your life. It's the pain that comes inevitably in everyone's life. It's the difficult times, the stormy times of your life, the hurtful times in your life. And yes, as we even looked back at the text over the last couple of weeks, and we're looking at this one and we're reading the rest of what Jesus is saying in the Gospel of Matthew, we're talking about the inevitable storm that we're all going to face, and it's the judgment of God. 
And I want you in that context to look at that and say, who is the one who's not going to fall in regard to the trials of this life and the judgment to come? Well, all you got to do is keep reading verse 25. The wise man who built his house on every single word of Jesus, when he went through all those trials, it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. You see, there's one sufficient foundation in which we make it through the trials of this life and the ultimate trial to come as we stand and give an account for our lives before the God of the universe. There is one sufficient foundation that if I stand on that foundation, I will stand both secure in this life and in the life to come. However, Verse 26 says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. I want you to recognize something here because this, go, this applies to every churchgoer in the world. Jesus didn't say, Whoever hears these words of mine is like a wise man who built his house on the, sand, on the, on the rock, did he? He said, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Just hearing the words of Jesus does not give you a solid foundation. It gives you the means for a solid foundation, but you can't just come to church and check that off your list and say, I got a solid foundation. I heard all the things that Jesus said. Because here we see another man who heard the words of Jesus, but he's called a fool. And he's called a fool not because he didn't have information, Because he didn't apply God's word to his life. And he's a fool. Because we all have to apply principles to our lives. Every single person in this room is building one thing or another. Just the fact that you are existing means that you are deciding or not deciding every day to do one thing or another. And so for those people who want to say things like, well, you know, I'm just not deciding I'm just not ready yet. It's not that I've rejected Jesus. I just haven't decided to follow him yet. In every single moment that you have yet to decide, you have decided that you're building your foundation on something else other than Jesus Christ. And because of that, when the storms come, when the rain comes, when the wind blows, your foundation is insufficient. And so we can't say we're going to remain undecided, so therefore the rain and the wind and the storms don't really apply to me right now because I, I haven't really decided. I haven't, I'm not going to let the storms come yet, which is an idiot thing to say because you don't get to decide when storms come. Uh, but we're going to say I just, they're not going to come yet because I'm just not ready yet. That's the whole point of being prepared because a storm's coming, rain's coming, wind's coming. You have to be prepared in saying that I'm just undecided you'll find yourself categorically in the place of the foolish man who hears these words of Jesus and does not do him, and he built his house on the sand. And what is the sand? Anything that is not Christ. Anything. Anything that is not holy Christ. And I'm even saying things that are half Christ and half something else. How, do you, how would you like your builder to come up to you and say, hey, listen up. I'm going to build your foundation with half concrete and half marshmallows. <laughs> and you're going to say, well, half concrete is pretty good. I mean, that's, that's the kind of things we build. I mean, if, it's, if I got some concrete in there, it has to offset those marshmallows until it gets really hot outside. 
You know what marshmallows do in the heat? You know. I know you know. They melt. And so we can't just say we're going to sit here and say, I'm going to build my foundation with, with a lot of Jesus, but just the rest of it, just with the marshmallows of whatever I want. All this stuff that just is not going to make it. You would look at your contractor and you'd say, you're a fool. And Jesus is looking at the crowd and saying, you'd be a fool to think you could only listen to half of my words and have a foundation that is sufficient and sturdy. Because here's what's going to happen. The rain's coming, the floods are coming, and the winds are going to blow, and they're going to beat against that house. I mean, these are the inevitable storms and trials of life. And we got to think of the pinnacle of all trials that is going to come before every single one of us, and that's standing before God. And God, according to this text, is going to say, to whom do you find your foundation? And there is one answer. And there is one life that is sufficient for entrance into the kingdom of God. And it isn't a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Buddha. It's not a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Muhammad. It's not a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Hayden. It's all Jesus. Every bit, every word that he said, everything he said, we do. Right? Period. Because he says that the one who hears my words and does them is the wise man. If there is one word that I reject from Jesus, I'm a fool. And that storm's going to come, and it's going to beat against that house, and that house is going to fall. And here in the text it says, and great was the fall of it. And when we talk about great was the fall, that you recognize this is the day of judgment here. And even in the illustration, it's the day of judgment. Because when do we judge the integrity of the structure? When the trial comes. When the storms come. Because I want you to notice something. Even as we're looking here, Jesus is concerned about obedience. I mean, the whole Sermon on the Mount is about that we would obey Him. And of course we say, well, we can't obey Him apart from Christ and endowing us with His Holy Spirit. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, is that you have the Holy Spirit if you've turned from your sins and placed your trust in Christ. John the Baptist has already told you to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus says, even as we look at Mark 1.15, repent and believe in me. The kingdom of heaven is here. So we ask, well, how, how can I do these things? You can't, but Christ can in you. And then Christ is very concerned about the obedience of those who say that they follow him, because the only person who has sufficient foundation are those who follow Christ and obey him. And we look at this, and, and I, I recognize something about those two men in that text and every single person who sits in this room. We're all living lives. Raise your hand if you have a job. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Right, please do it. Don't do, it. Don't do this. Do this. Right, do that. Right there. Raise your hand if you have a job. Okay. All right. Raise your hand if you have a family in your house. Raise your hand. Raise your hand real high. Raise your hand if you live in the hill country. Raise your hand real high. All right. Raise your hand. <laughs> some, some of you don't, though. I know. I already met people in here who's not. Okay. Uh, I can keep going. There's a lot of similarities between all of us in here. Okay. And so we have to be careful with judging ourselves based upon the people around us because if we're just judging ourselves based on the people around us, we find a lot of similarities. When I look at that text, I find that there are two men building two houses. And apparently, it was going pretty well. 
And if I only look at these two men and I look at their similarities, well, that's a nice house, it's got a door, it's got some windows, they got a dog named Spot, they got two kids, they got that nice Range Rover. I don't even know what a Range Rover looks like, but it's nice, okay? And it's in the driveway. It's like, it's like it just looks really good. I don't need to know the similarities. I need to know what makes the difference. What's different between you and the person out there wandering around New Braunfels on a Sunday who has no thoughts about God, has no thoughts about the local church, at least no good thoughts. Because when we think about homes, I can't really tell the difference by looking at the outside. You can't see the foundation from the outside. I can't see the framework on the outside. All I can see on the outside is the nice, cool stuff. The stuff that, you know, you like to go pick out when you design your home. Like, you know what they never do? Can you please pick out how you want to design your foundation? You pick the elements you want, the ingredients you want in your foundation. They would never ask you that. Instead, it's, what color do you want your house? How do you, what do you want your floors to look like? You know, how, what do you want the trim? What do you want the facade to look like? All these things that at the end of the day don't matter if that foundation is not sufficient. And here we find two men getting on with their lives, building their homes, and we don't know a single difference until judgment and trials come. And then we look and we say, there, there was the difference. Their life was built on insufficient foundation. Their life was built on the sand and it's going to give away. We need to be careful that we just judge ourselves based on those around us because we don't know how many people around us have a foundation on Christ or a foundation on the sand. We instead need to look at ourselves according to the words of Christ and say, not, am I living a life similar to those people, but am I living a life according to what God's word says and as Jesus commands, is my life obedient to those words? I mean, these distinctions we make aren't going to be about the colors of our lives and the the things that we have or don't have, the distinctions that we're going to make when we think about our foundation is, who do we trust to get us through the storm? Do I trust my bank account? Do I trust my retirement? Right? Do I trust in myself? Do I trust that my spouse is going to do it, and if, if they're insufficient, then I'm going to give up on them? Because if that's where you find your trust, you're going to give up on every spouse that has ever existed. Whose words do we submit to? Do I submit to the words of culture and society? Do I submit to the words of Christ? Because you got to recognize, I could talk to you an hour about worldview, but the problem you have to understand, and I'm not going to sit here and talk to you about worldview for an hour, but you have to understand every single person has thoughts about life, and it comes from a foundation of their worldview and understanding about reality as they see it. And so you don't get unadulterated raw data from anybody. What you get from everybody is reality as they see it, and then how I should decide based on reality as I see it. Well, reality as they see it, according to what? Themselves? Does God exist in their worldview? Does God not exist in their worldview? Is there a life after this in their worldview? Is there a purpose for my life? You see what I'm saying? You, don't, you, you ask people, what do, you, what do you think about this? Well, they're going to tell you what they think based upon what they know and what they think about reality. And if what they know and think about reality isn't the words of Jesus Christ, then it's a, it's a sandy foundation. It's a foundation that will not make it through the storms of life. And so I'm not really concerned about people's opinions. No offense. I'm concerned about what Christ's word tells me to do. What map do we consult? And who do you call when you got a problem? 
you open up the words of God or do you open up your cell phone and open up your phone book to find somebody else's opinions about your problems? You see, here's a problem with a storm of a person who listens to God's word but doesn't do them. We, we understand in a storm, a casual head nod to Christian platitudes isn't going to sustain you through a storm. And I've seen this over and over again. I'm sure you have too, of people who give casual, tacit adherence to some kind of vague Christianity. And then when something bad happens and their entire house falls down and they say, this is God's fault. You've seen those people, right? Why would God do this to me? That's the nicest thing God could ever do to you. To show you that the thing you were building can't make it. If it can't make it in this little storm in your life, what makes you think it'll stand before God? It's the nicest thing God could ever do is tear apart your life here. To prove to you that your foundation was nothing more than the sand on the sea. I've got to ask this question. It's question number one on your outline. Is your foundation Christ's words? Is your foundation Christ's words? And listen, I'm not talking about Christian platitudes. I'm not saying, do you know the Christian alphabet? You can say all the right things. I'm asking you, is your foundation Christ, and that which you build upon that foundation is application to the words of Jesus Christ? Because if it's not, you don't have to prove it to me. Life will prove it to you. Your life, the trials that you go to, are going to prove to you whether or not your life was built on the sand or if it was built on the rock. Because all you got to do is wait a little while. And if you met anybody here who's a little bit older than 15, 20, 30, 40 years old, they're going to show you and they'll have enough to tell you of whether or not that their life was built on a rock or on the sand. And if you're blessed enough that God would preserve you and you were built on the sand, and you're blessed enough that God would preserve you long enough that you could change your location and start building on the rock. But you have to ask yourself, and I mean be honest, is your foundation Christ's words? I'm not asking, is your foundation your mommy and daddy's religion? I'm saying, is your foundation the Lord Christ in submission to Him as the authority and expert in all things? Jesus talks about what it means to obey and love, what it means to make it in this life on a sturdy foundation in John 14. You can jot this reference down. John 14, starting in verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. I want you to notice that. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Did you see the connection here? Who does the Father love? Those who obey his Son. Well, that is not the gospel I've heard when I'm growing up. I, listen, okay, I'm just reading the Bible. And you see what I'm saying? Is your foundation the words of Jesus, or are they a mixture of things you've heard growing up? Because my Bible tells me simply this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and the Father will love him. The Father loves those who are Christ's, and Christ's, seals his people, and makes them obedient. And so if I want to ask the question, does God love me? i got to ask the question, do you obey Jesus? Because if you're not, Scripture calls you an enemy. You're an enemy of God. 
But this text tells me the Father loves those to whom have been given to the Son, and those who have been given to the Son will obey Him because they love Him. And, that's what it says in verse 23, we will come to him and make our home with him. Did you see that? You want to talk about what is an application of the fact that the Father loves you and that the Son loves you and that you would obey the, the Son because of the Spirit that he has given to you. They will come and they will make their home with you. I mean, maybe if you don't really have an understanding of the, the, the meta-narrative of Scripture, the fact that we read in this text that God is going to come make his home with the person who is saved, the person who follows Christ, is the meta-narrative and the problem of all of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and He put a garden in the middle of it, and He put Adam and Eve in the middle of it, and they walked with God. They disobeyed God. God put them out of the garden. And then you see, in all of the Old Testament, God creating a people for Himself, setting them apart, and then putting Himself right smack dab in the middle of them in a place that you see at least in the wilderness, called a tabernacle, where he dwelt with the people. And then you see him do it when they're in Jerusalem, and they go on Mount Moriah on the Temple Mount, and they build the temple, and then God's presence fills the temple that God would be with his people. And remember, what was the expectation for all those who God dwelt among? That they would obey, that they would listen, that they would follow the words. And then... Temple destroyed, we get to the intertestamental period, we get to now Christ where we see ourselves, and you get into the Gospel of John in chapter 1, and it said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word is a Greek word for tabernacled, which is the same concept that we see in the Old Testament, it's tabernacle, that God would dwell with his people. And Jesus is coming on the scene, and he says, I am the Lord, and I have tabernacled with you. Now here's what you do. You take my words and you obey them. The good news is, you won't obey them apart from me producing obedience in you, so therefore you know you're my child because you can obey. People are like, I can't obey, I can't obey God. That's the question then. Are you a child of God if you cannot therefore do the things that Christ has called you to do? Am I saying, do you need to be perfect? No. I think I say this every single week. You know this. We're not, we're not talking about perfectionism here. We're talking about obedience to the Word of God. Do you love Him? Do you care about Him? I mean, you don't look at your spouse and say, because you weren't perfect this year, I don't think you love me. No, you look at Him and say, you know what? In spite of your imperfection, I have seen your great desire and commitment to our marriage, and I love you greatly because of it, and I know that you love me because of your great commitment to me. That, that's, that's a good, healthy marriage, isn't it? Good, healthy relationship that's meaningful for the Christian is not that you're perfect, but that you're repentant and you're willing to follow tenaciously all the words of Jesus Christ. And so I ask you, is your foundation Christ's words? Because verse 24, John 14 says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word you hear, and I love this part, you're like, well, is Jesus, is Jesus is that what God the Father says? Or is this just something Jesus said? Listen to this. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear right now is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So if you're thinking, well, maybe God and Jesus, they have different wills, you know, that's which they do, but they're wills that are completely in concert with one another. And whatever Jesus said, you count on it that the Father says it. And here you see that the Father and the Son say that if you love, and if you are born of God, you will obey 
all the words of Jesus Christ, and you will be the wise man who built his house on the rock. I want you to be brutally honest with yourself. Like, I don't want to be a church where we, all, where we all get in here, ask as little as possible so that nobody has to really be honest about their life. I'm like, be real honest with your life. Like, if I'm dying, I want you to tell me I'm dying. Don't lie to me. Because I don't lie to me. I tell my wife all the time, tell me the truth. I want to hear the truth. The truth, the truth's going to win. I want to know what is really true. And if we're sitting in here like, ah, I know Jesus, I love Jesus. Tell me the truth. Do you really? Do you really love Jesus? Do you obey Jesus? Do you even know Jesus? Best thing to do is be honest. We don't want to play games here. We don't want to play games because this life is real and has real consequences, and eternity has real consequences. And if we have real consequences, I want to know the truth about what's going on here. You've heard the old adage, haven't you? You're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or getting ready to go into a storm. You've heard that, right? And that speaks to me because that's been my whole life. And I'm sitting here like, I don't want a lying foundation. I want the truth because I'm going to go through some things. You're going to go through some things. And the last thing I want is to feel good when I'm out on the, on the, when I'm out on the sea and there's no waves. I don't really care about feeling good about that if I know that in a few months I'm going to look around and I'm going to be drowning because I didn't think rightly about my life. And ultimately, I don't want to stand before God in a lie thinking something was true that wasn't, and then standing before the biggest torrent of my life, the holy God of the universe, and I've lied to myself my entire life saying that I was something that I wasn't, and I stand before the biggest trial of my life, and I fall. Because my house looked just like yours, except for the foundation was different. And I didn't know it until the storm hit. And when the storm hit, tore it all apart, I recognized, oh, there's a difference between your house and mine. I want the truth, and I want you to want the truth. We've got to be honest about our foundation because the storms are coming. That's really what we see in verses 25 and 27 there in our text this morning. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and they beat on that house. Which house did they beat on? Oh, good. I just want to make sure you knew. Both of them. The Christian's house and the non-Christian's house. Jesus said it, uh, he says that it will rain on the just and the unjust, and the, sh- the, the sun will shine on the wicked and the good. Both. You can rest assured that there's a storm coming for you. Had a feel good sermon this morning. Mm. You know, the Bible talks a lot about storms. I mean, you can't get really very far into a lot of the books of the Bible without hearing about a storm here and a storm there. Jonah had a storm. David had some storms. You see it in the Psalms, the the proverbial storms of life that he goes through. We see it in Jesus with the disciples. They were going through a storm. If you actually read the prophets and you read Revelation, they even uh, picture the coming judgment as a storm. And that's why we should look at this illustration here and say, well, we're talking about the storms of life. But what Jesus is picturing here is the judgment to come. How do you know that, Pastor? I mean, were you here last week? That's how I know. Look at what it says right before this. Jesus isn't just hopping around talking about the top ten things that he wanted to talk about to that crowd. He was telling them what is coming. And right before this, you hear these people who didn't know what was coming. They stood before the Lord, and their foundation was on the sand, and their fall was great. And Jesus called them wicked and told them to depart. And here, we see it right here. Is that a foolish person? Or a wise person. We see foolish people who don't think a lot about the storms of life and don't recognize that we're all going to stand before the Lord one day. 
But the Bible talks a lot about storms. It talks about how God provides solace in the storms. It talks even about how God is the divine creator of storms, which is a whole other thing that we'll get into, and you'll get into in your application questions this week. Even the storms of life are divine appointments by God, and it's best for us to look at storms that way. Because if I want to know what, what my house is made out of, what my faith is made out of, I'm not going to find out if there's not a storm. I need to find out, is this real? You know, I don't ask God for particular storms, but when they come, I want to sit there. And, like, and I talk to my wife and people who will listen to me in counseling, and I'll say, you know, when a storm comes, I want to, I want to walk slowly through a storm. I don't want to run through a storm. I don't want to sit in a storm. You just better believe that, okay? I want to walk through the storm, and I want to run through the storm. Because I want to know, what is God going to test in my life? Maybe he tears off a part of my house that was not founded on, on, on the rock. Have you, you done that? You guys seen homes uh, that people have added on to? And you're like, this is a nice part of the home here. And then for some reason, they change the foundation, and they build a whole addition. And your city inspector would look at you and say, fool, what are you doing? Uh, and uh, sure enough, a storm comes gets water under that foundation, starts rotting the forms down in there, and you got to tear that whole thing down. You know, it's costly, but not nearly as costly as what it'd be like if you were in that thing when a big storm hit and a tornado ran off and ripped that part of your house off, and now you were in there, and now you're no longer in there. What's the point? The point is storms are real good because storms will really test whether or not everything that you're building is on the foundation of Christ, or if you decided to walk over there on a different part of the property and start building something that has nothing to do with Jesus. Not obedience to the word of Jesus. And when the storm comes, rips that thing off, and you're sitting there saying, well, if you have a good theological view of storms, you're going to say, praise the Lord. That was a dangerous place for me to be anyway. Nevertheless, in our own lives, we've got to look at two kinds of storms. There are two kinds of storms I hate to make everything two, one or two, but that is eternity, isn't it? Okay, But there are two kinds of storms. Are there variations of the first kind of storm? Absolutely. And you could probably tell me more about the variations of the first kind of storms than I can tell you. So I assume that as I tell you, you'll fill in the blank. You have uh, temporal storms, storms that take the form of trials, heartbreaks, pain, loss, doubt. And the question is, is how do you respond to these storms? Do you have a storm plan? Is your marriage on the rocks? How are you dealing with that? Are you listening to the people texting you on the phone, calling you, telling you you need to leave, you need to drop that person, that ain't no good for you? Are you you looking at other texts of Scripture? Like Matthew 6 and 7, Matthew 19, Deuteronomy 24, Ephesians 5, marriage passages. What are you looking at? Who are you going to? Are you submitting to the words of Jesus? Or are you only giving lip service to God? Like, I want a Christian marriage, but you have know nothing about a Christian marriage. Because you don't know what God's word tells you about a marriage. Do you have a loved one that's unexpectedly die? That's the truth for a lot of people at our church. And the question is, are you leaning on Christ? Or are you spiraling out of control? Because I'm telling you, I mean, people say, well, you know, people going through these really, really difficult times, you, you shouldn't say anything to them. Are you kidding me? That's who the Bible's for. The Bible's for the people going through things that you couldn't comprehend. Because you couldn't comprehend how to deal with it if you didn't have God's word. But people say, when people are suffering, don't, don't throw the Bible in front of them. Are you kidding me? Because I'm suffering and the thing that I need is God's word. 
That's why he came down. Those who are heavy laden, those who are weary, I need rest and you can't give it to me. Only God can give that kind of rest. And I got to know what God's word says about it. And we're going to tip, and this is something that we'll talk about in the next few weeks as your pastors have a new sermon series coming up where we're going to share our hearts with, with, with where we think our church should grow and nurture and, and begin maturing in our lives. But I think this is one of them. This idea that because culture tells you, well, they need, you know, they need licensed professionals. Okay, all right. Is Jesus not the greatest counselor that has ever lived? And you want to tell me that they've got a problem that he can't fix, then you are talking to me about a Jesus I know nothing about. Because the Jesus that I know about has the answers to the questions of life and the problems that I have. And if he can't address them, I'm in terrible, terrible shape. That's not a popular statement in our culture. But that's the problem because our culture is built on the sand and I want to have a church that's built on the rock. And if it's built on the rock, it's built on every word of the rock. Are you leaning on Christ? Did your job let you go and your bills are due next week? I mean, that's a real problem, isn't it? Maybe, maybe you were goofy and you got fired. Maybe you just got let go because there were job cuts and you got bills and you got kids and you got responsibilities. Are you drowning it downtown at the bar? Or are you taking it to the Lord in the prayer closet, asking him to provide your needs, knowing full well that Jesus' exact words say, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Talking about food and shelter and clothing. And I take it to the Lord and I say, based upon your words, you're going to provide for me as I walk according to your word, your righteousness. And I'm going to lean on that. And in the storm, I'm going to hear the walls are going to be rattling, the floors are going to be shaking, the roof is going to feel like it's going to blow off, and I'm going to get through that storm, and I'm going to look around, and I'm going to say, glory to God. Because this thing stayed immovable, not because of what I built, but what God built underneath. And all I'm saying is you're going to have that storm. You're going to have a lot of them. You're not just going to have one. You're not just going to have two. You're not just going to have three. You're going to have dozens of them in your life, and they're all going to be foundation checkers for you. Where is this foundation built? We all have these kind of trials and storms. And Jesus says our words are a sure foundation in the midst of them. And that's comforting, right? I pray that in the, in the presence of strong preaching and authoritative preaching, as you're hearing, and even the, the people are saying this in 28 and 29, we'll get to briefly. This idea that that's strong, but it's comforting. I don't want weak stuff. Weak stuff doesn't comfort me. Strong things comfort me. Strong foundations comfort me. Strong homes comfort me in the midst of the storm. You want to give your child comfort? When they look at you and say, Mom, Dad, what's going on in my life these days? There's a really bad storm going on outside. And you can look at them and say, this house is built for this. This family is built for this. I'm like, All right, Mom, I'm good. I'm going to go back to bed. Right? You, you want to create a kind of safety and security for your family? You need to start thinking about the storms and the foundations that your life is built on. But there are other storms. There's another storm. A complete different category of storm that the first storms will hopefully either prep you for, at least get your mind thinking about, but there's another kind of storm, and it's called the eternal storm. It's the storm that is called the judgment that awaits all people after death. And of course, you're like, what do you mean judgment? I'm a Christian. Okay. It's good. You have a foundation. You read 1 Corinthians. 
It's on that foundation, all the things you've ever done, are we put up on top of that, and they're going to light a fire to it. God's going to light a fire to it, and that foundation, which is Christ, on all top of that is all the things you built in this life, and you're going to wonder, are those things going to make it through the fire as you stand before God? Because if they do, God will reward you in concert with that faithfulness that you built on the foundation of Christ. Gold, silver, precious stones is what they call it. But he said, but if you built a life with wood, hay, and straw, and this is a warning to the, to the Christian, you, you understand, because the non-Christian didn't build on no foundation. They have a whole different judgment coming. But even the Christian, you have to ask yourself, what, you're going to go through a judgment too. And everything that you've done is going to be set on top of the foundation. It's going to be lit on fire. It's called the judgment of fire. Not the judgment of fire, but a judgment of fire. All the works of your life are going to be baptized into the fire, and what comes out is going to be that on which you were faithful in. So you don't think that you just get up there and nothing, and there's, well, Jesus covered for you, Jesus covered for you, Jesus covered for you, and just, you know, they're just going to, it's like one of those little, what is that thing, a turnstile, you know, just get in on there as quick as you can. All right, no, it's going to be a moment of you recollecting your life and be held accountable for the life that you lived. Hebrews 9.27 it's appointed once for man to die, and after that comes judgment. Every person alive are headed for a time of judgment. Second Peter 3, 8-13. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, this is because there were people saying, this guy that you talk about, where is he at? He's not coming back. You said he was coming back, but where is he at? It's been a while now. And he says, nah, he's patient. He didn't want anyone to perish. He didn't want people to, to face this judgment and be cast away from him for eternity. He's more loving than that. He's more compassionate than that. He's wishing that everyone would reach repentance. But the day of the Lord, again, when you, when you read in the Bible, the day of the Lord, that's a significant moment. And many of those day of the Lord are either talking about a moment in which God is going to judge, particularly in the Old Testament when he was judging nations or judging Israel. But as you see the, the narrative of Scripture going forward and you see progressive revelation, that day of the Lord turns from the judgment to the nations to the judgment of all of the nations on the day of the Lord, the coming judgment. And here, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. That sounds like a storm, doesn't it? Sounds like a really, really heavy, bad, eschatological storm of the judgment of God. And maybe you're in here and you're not a Christian. That's something to be concerned about. But interestingly enough, Second Peter is talking to the Christian. So now what does that mean for the Christian? Look at verse 12. So, no, I'm sorry, verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, he's talking about all the things in the world, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? You see, those of us who say things like, well, it doesn't matter, judgment's the judgment's not for me. There is no reason for me to do anything according to Jesus' word here other than just the best I can, and that's all God's going to expect of me. But yet here we see Peter saying, all this stuff is going to be exposed and completely eradicated. We even see that in the Psalms. Psalm 46, is that the one where your favorite verse, be still and know that I'm God? You know, that's when the context of 
God's utter destruction of all the nations that were rising up against them. And he says, I'm going to break the bow, I'm going to shatter the spear, and I'm going to burn the chariots with fire. That's what it says. And then it says what you have in your kitchen. Be still and know that I'm God. What God's really saying there is you have no other choice but to be still because I have rendered everything absolutely useless. And it will all look at me on the day of judgment. All this stuff you built, if it ain't built to face the Lord on the day of judgment, it will not stand. Go back to the text, though. Let's see. What are we at? Verse 11, verse 12. What kind of lives ought you live in holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening for the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Did you see the salvation and judgment there, the concept that we see often through Scripture? Is this idea there is both judgment and salvation. And this is one of the biggest problems that we have in our quasi-religious Christianese culture is that we only want to talk about deliverance and you only talk about salvation, but you find me any places in Scripture where we only talk about deliverance and salvation and there is no, there is no judgment. As a matter of fact, you read through all of Scripture and every time you see salvation, you see judgment. There is no salvation without judgment. Think about Jesus. He was punished for our transgressions and our iniquities. He was chastised for us. It's our sin that he bore. Our salvation is directly connected to his judgment. In the same way, this great eschatological salvation that you and me are so much looking forward to is coming right on the heels of the judgment of the world. And so, and that's the hope of salvation that he's going to make everything new. But there's a storm coming. Are you building for the storms ahead? Point number two. I'm going to ask that question. Are you building for the storms ahead? When I was fresh out of college, that was a rough time. All right. I uh, was in the middle of two ministry jobs at the time, uh, which uh, translates to I was broke, all right? And uh, I needed a place to live for a couple months, and uh, there's just not a lot of places for me to go, all right? You live in the middle of nowhere, not a lot of houses around, all right? And uh, my grandmother had inherited, and I say that very loosely, an old FEMA trailer from a friend who had died, uh, not in a hurricane, but just died, all right? And... Uh, I asked my grandmother, hey, can I stay in this FEMA, uh, I said trailer, but there's a nicer word for that. What is it called? Uh, a camper. There we go. <laughs> it makes it seem like I'm doing something. A camper, a FEMA camper. All right. And uh, she told me, she, was, she said, yeah, go ahead. I was going there, I was looking at this FEMA camper and all around. I'm like, all right, you know, it's, it's looking all right. But one of the problems that I found, I crawled up on the roof and it's got this, you know, canopy on it that's kind of, you know, soft canopy on it. And a limb had ripped a, a big hole in it and the rain had come in and had literally destroyed the interior walls. And so I, being broke, you know, took on a poor man's renovation, and I made all that interior look nice. I ripped all the walls out. I redid the walls in the inside. I decorated it with some, some nice things. And, you know, I was like, all right, this is great. And I spent a couple of weeks getting it done. But then I realized as I finished, I said, I forgot that pesky canopy. Like, I'm th- but then I thought, well, as long as it doesn't rain, I'm going to be fine. 
You'll never guess what happened that week. It rained, the storm came, and I was in there just trying to make my life look like what I wanted it to. I had nice pillows, I had nice blankets on the bed, I had nice things hanging up on the wall. And you know what that meant? Absolutely nothing, because I wasn't ready for the rain. And sure enough, it destroyed every, everything I did, destroyed all the work that I was doing. And you know what? I, I wish I had a nice story to tell you that, you know, somebody else took me in. I didn't have nowhere to go. And I sat there and I thought, this is what happens when you don't do things the right way. This is what happens when you're too busy trying to make your life look nice and you're not worrying about the things that matter, like a roof and a foundation. And I neglected to prepare for the inevitable storm because I was too busy trying to do the smaller things in life that make my life look nice. And I wasn't thinking about the things that really, really mattered. And I'm wondering, but that's true for you. Are you building for the storms ahead? Are you trying to do all the little nice things right now that make your life look better and they're therapeutic for you and make you feel better about things? But at the end of the day, when the storm comes, they're not going to be all for naught anyway because you hadn't really prepared for all the storms that were coming. I don't want you to wait for the storm to ruin your life. I want you to prepare today. For instance, are you learning and applying God's word now? I can't tell you how many times I talk to people and they tell me, whether they're in counseling or whether I'm just talking to them just out in the the hallway or the the lobby, we talk about, you know, problems in their lives and what they're doing to to work through them. And I'm like, well, do you know God's word? Do you have God's word hidden in your heart? No, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. Are you a Christian? Yeah. Do you know Jesus? Not really. Like, then how do you know what a Christian is? If you don't know who he is. And I, and I ask, what are you doing? What are you doing to prepare for the, for the storms ahead? I don't know. Like, okay, this is the, but this is the problem, you understand. You ask a lot of people in our world, they haven't thought anything about the storms coming. And then when their lives collapse, it's all God's fault. And again, like I told you other about the providential care and divine uh, handle of God, that he would put storms in your life. So I'm not always against the fact that you say it's God's fault. I'm like, praise the Lord, tear that place down, right? You need a new, you need a new foundation and a new house. Let's get, all, let's get rid of all that stuff, you know? And I'm, I'm not trying to make light of people's problems, but I'm trying to focus on the real problem. And the real problem is that we're all going to stand before God one day. And that's what you see in the rest of this text. As we look there, at the end of verse 25 and the end of verse 27, after the storm, after the rain and the storm and the wind, we see that the first man was secure and his house was preserved because he was founded on the rock. But yet, we see the other man when the storms came and the wind came and the rain came and blew against that house, it fell in great was its fall. You know what? You know, I, lo- I don't, lo- again, I don't love, and I'm just not one of those people who just love all the storms in my life, but I've learned at a relatively young age to, when that storm comes, and, and there's been storms in my marriage and in my life, and I hold on and I just say, let's see what this baby's made of. Because I want to know, what's this thing got? Because I know the only thing going to keep this thing up is Jesus. And if it rips anything off, I want to help kick it over because I don't want it in my house anymore. And I'm, I'm telling you, there's a lot of things in my life that I don't do well at all. But I'm going to tell you, one of those things that I cherish is the fact that God would sustain me through a storm. And I don't like a storm. They're hurtful. I don't like, they don't feel good. They, don't make me, they, they make me anxious and nervous. And they do all those things. But I just sit there and I say, thank you, God, 
that you are keeping this thing together. But I want you to remember that the storm that Jesus is talking about is going to culminate in the judgment of God. And we see one man who fell and great was his fall. And I want to ask you the third final question. Will you stand secure on the day of judgment? Will you stand secure on the day of judgment? As you stand before God, what is your foundation? You stand before God and he says, where's your foundation? And I say, Christ. Well, how do I know? You can't build this life on anything but Jesus. And I built my whole life on the foundations of Christ. Well, that sounds like work to me. No, all your work is futile. That's why the foundation matters. Because you stand before God and, well, I built my life. I did all these wonderful things. Look at this thing. And we look over and that thing looks worse than my old FEMA camper. All right? For us, we look and we say, I want to stand secure on the day of judgment. Because Matthew 7, we just talked about it last week. In verse 23, it says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You better believe that they fell and great was their fall. And you've got to ask yourself, quit saying, well, that's a nice story that pastor told me. You ready to go to Las Ventanas for lunch? No, no. You better think about this. We need to think about this as Christians. Ask yourself, are you going to stand secure on the day of judgment? And this is serious. And you know how serious this is? That this was even an uncommon sermon in that day. Can I prove that to you? Last two verses. Verses 28 and 29. Jesus finished up the Sermon on the Mount with this text, and this is what happened. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished. At his teaching. So we're thinking, so you have to understand, Jesus is a rabbi, like a lot of the other rabbis, he's a teacher, but there was something distinctive about his teaching. What was it? He was teaching them as one who had authority. You need to recognize that they saw something that oftentimes people that sit in this church don't see that Jesus spoke with authority. Like, thus saith the Lord. Like, this is what is true. This is what I expect of you. And the problem is, people even did it in this time, and people do it at this church every single week. And I know the churches around uh, the city and around the country too, but I'm your pastor, so I get to talk about this church, okay? This church, we get up and we walk out and we say, that was nice. They, could, they didn't do that. They thought, this is troubling. He's not teaching us like the scribes who just told us facts and interpretations and, well, so-and-so holds this position, and so this is what the scribes did at that time. They were learned people, very smart people, but they were just like, well, this is what so-and-so says about the law. This is what so-and-so says about the law. Here's maybe what we should do with the law. And Jesus said, "Mm -mm. not many of you, not many of you will enter the kingdom of heaven. For on that day... Many of you are going to stand before me saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And he says, depart from me. Scribes don't do that. God does that. And so when they met Jesus, they were troubled and they were astonished because the things that Jesus said had real implications. And for you, you have to sit here today and say, this has real implications for me. The storm's coming. The question isn't, what a... You know, what, what a great sermon do I want to say at this church going forward? The real question is, are you building your house on the rock, and will it stand on the day of judgment? Let's pray. God, thank you for this text. Thank you for the Sermon on the Mount that is such a perfect 
sermon teaching us about your kingdom and what really matters. And I just pray that we don't lose the meaning of this sermon just because there's churches on every corner of the city, just because it's something that we grew up listening to, and just like all the other things that I've been taught about my whole life, they're wonderful thoughts, they're wonderful ideas, but it doesn't really apply to me. I just pray that, that we would at least have the wisdom that the crowd had who were astonished because this is different. He's teaching with authority. He's teaching as though he really has the ability to grant me entrance into the kingdom, to save me from my sins, to cast me into outer darkness and the destruction to come. He preaches like he has the ability to do those things. And God, we know even through his death and his resurrection, he proved that he had the power to do exactly that. And I pray that we as a church would take that seriously as we contemplate our foundation. In Christ's name, amen.